Welcome to Sex Ed Rewind, reflections on how we learn about sex. Hey there, before we dive into our episode, I wanted to give a content warning. We will be talking about child sexual abuse, sexual assault, rape, so please make sure to take care of yourselves. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the show. My name is Caro Confort, your host, and I'm thrilled to introduce my guest this week, Miss Mariah Cadillo. Mariah is a sexual health educator for a nonprofit in Silicon Valley, California. She primarily works with young folks in middle and high school, covering topics ranging from anatomy, gender identity, STIs, consent, communication skills, and more. She provides an anonymous question box for students to share their voice, explore their curiosity, and access inclusive information about sexual health. She's the creator of the Instagram account, The Sex Ed Files, where she shares these anonymous questions along with resources and information from other sexuality professionals and activists. Outside of work, she finds pleasure in taking warm showers, exploring her sexuality, live jazz, either on stage or in the audience, and keeping her many houseplants alive and healthy. Mariah, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you for that lovely intro. (laughs) Well, we are so excited to have you. Thank you. I'm excited too. It's a nice day. So this, this is a good space to be in today. Yes. Bringing that sunshine energy to the show. Absolutely. And I will say for my listeners and for you, I'm so excited because this is my first interview with another sex educator, like full blown. (laughs) So I feel like we're going to really get into it and share like the experiences on the ground. (laughs) Yes. Yes. There's definitely that, that common ground, that sex educator thing that Mm -hmm. it's, it's just a thing. It's a thing. (laughs) Yep. It's a vibe and it's going to make for a great interview. Yes. Okay. So we're going to dive right in. We like to help the listeners understand like who was a young Mariah since we talk a lot about what life was like for you in high school. I want to understand where you were at, what was going on. So can you share with us when you were in high school, what was your favorite band, your favorite fashion trend and your favorite slang word? All right. So uh, let's see my favorite band. I, I went through different stages in high school. Like I feel like every single year, freshman to senior year was a different I was in a different place, but overall, I really liked Paramore. I grew up in a super religious home, so anytime I could get some music outside of like church music, mm-hmm. that's the one. That's the one that sticks out to me. I feel like that's a good like rebellious kid choice. Oh yeah, yeah, it was so good. Yeah, and um, she, their lead singer had like bright orange hair, right? Oh, yes, yes. And Which the band is like, tees, yes. love it. <laughs> Rebellion in a nutshell is like bright orange hair. Oh, yeah. I'd walk into Hot Topic and put that on my MP3 player and it was, yes. it was good stuff. <laughs> Hot Topic is great. Okay, awesome. So Paramore, so walk us through the fashion trend of choice yeah. for a young Mariah. Well, Banties was a big one. I loved that with like the plastic bracelets. Yep. <laughs> Sadly, I was an Uggs and shorts person. Mm, Okay, got it, got it, got it. Sadly, indeed, I love it. Sadly, you know, (laughs) comfort wise, I feel like it's really comfortable. I love like a a comfy slipper and I I like I like wearing shorts. So yeah, I I don't know if it was my favorite, but in comfort terms, I think it might have (laughs) been. That was quite a look. I remember that look for (sighs) sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. Okay. Uggs and shorts, a strong (laughs) choice for the time, but you know, um, and then favorite slang word, this brought me back, but I think, I think like shoddy, like shorty, Mm -hmm. because I'm really short and people would call me that. So I, I kind of embraced it. I was like, yeah, I'm like, I'm a shoddy or whatever. I I don't know. So that, I think that's memorable. Yeah. And I feel like the, the best part about going down this memory lane trip is like, it is embarrassing for everyone, you know? Yes. I don't think I know anybody that like, isn't embarrassed of what they did as like a 14 to 18 year old. Oh gosh. Yeah. It's, it's a rough time. 
It is. It is. I mean, we know this better than most. Like people who work with teens know how rough it is to be a teen. Oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great choices. So I feel like we can like envision a young Mariah walking around, listening to her paramour and her Uggs and shorts and hot topic. Yep. It's good. It's a good visual. Okay. Good. So share with us now a little bit about, um, where you went to high school and what that was like. So where did you go to high school? Where was it in the world? Yeah. So I am from the central Valley in California. There's a bunch of like small, um, farmer towns, um, where we have a lot of agriculture. I went to high school in a really small town called Hanford, California. Mm-hmm. I went to the West side. It was Hanford West high school. We were the Huskies. Hanford nice. West Huskies. <laughs> okay, cool. So, um, what decade were you in high school? I guess it's considered like the mid 2000s, like 2007 to 2011. Is that mid or is that early? I don't really know what it's. Yeah, that's like the mid aughts. And I'm not sure if I miss this. Was it a public school or a private school, religious school? It was public, public school, but religious at home. Okay. And we will get into that. Yes, yes. Yeah. I feel like we kind of have to in order for the rest of this to make sense. Exactly. The context, baby. That's what context, we need. Context, yes. Okay, fantastic. So now we have the scene, a little more info on what you were up to, where you were going, what that was like. So now let's get into the juicy bits, the sex education <laughs> questions. Yeah. So first and foremost, in your West Side High School, did you get any sex education? It was a two-day sex ed experience where there was an organization. I I don't remember who they were or what they were. It seemed like they were from a hospital or something like that or from a medical center. Um, And then they came in for two days, met with PE classes and basically gave us a shame-based style sex ed. They showed us images of STIs and basically said, if you have sex, this is what your genitals will look like. And um, no real substance or helpful information about consent, communication, or or protection, nothing like that. Um, And there were probably like 70 students in every class. So we, we were all just thrown into like a portable classroom is what they called them. And they put this on the overhead projector, like the pictures, and that was it. And then passed around images too. Oh, and the result of that was uh, some long, like the entire year, students just talking about uh, genitals and calling the vulva like roast beef and things like that because oh, of no. what the images looked like. Um, so that was not great. It was definitely not a helpful sex education. And um, for me personally, it was the only type of sex ed I received because I grew up in a very religious home. We did not talk about sex at all. Mm -hmm. So I honestly didn't, I really didn't learn anything. Instead, it perpetuated a lot of the shame that was already happening from the idea of purity culture. Um, And what messages I received like from my parents and also within a church and then um, just in my own life and what was happening to me at that time, all of that kind of mixed together met or led to a really, just a really negative sex ed experience. Yeah. And I think we'll definitely get into that other aspects of outside of school in a minute, but I just want to focus on this for a second. Like, sure. I think the statistic is like the average American high schooler gets like seven hours of sex ed in their entire career. So just like harping on, like you said, a two day thing, Uh like imagine if you only learned math for two days in high school, like we would never do that. It's just not enough time. Yeah. Two days is not enough. And I think being on the other side of it now, being a sex educator, seeing how much time is needed. It's, it's just really sad. Like two days is not enough. And when there's no space created for it to be safe for everyone or for other identities to be represented, 
it, it was, it, that's the thing. It wasn't safe for everyone, for every single person. Um, and I think shame-based sex ed is, was very common at that time. and still is sadly in a lot of places. I think because I'm from California, sometimes I forget that abstinence-based only sex ed is still being taught in so many states. So many. Shame-based sex ed is the norm in some states as well. Yeah. And I also think back to what you said about there being like 70 kids in the room. Oh, yeah. And it's like, that's a college lecture size when it's designed for students not to ask questions, not to participate, to just kind of like word vomit a bunch of information Mm -hmm. on them. And like, that's not how young people are going to learn about sex. Like 70, 70 students to one teacher is wild. Right. And if you had a question in that space, it's just, just from learning styles alone, like it, this isn't a very trauma-informed type of sex ed at all because it's difficult when you have schools that just don't have capacity. Um, but with sex ed and topics that should allow for there to be questions and conversations and people are learning about themselves, then uh, it, I feel like it should have been prioritized. Yeah, there were no questions asked at all in that classroom. Yeah. And I feel like shame is totally the emotion that that type of curriculum is targeting, but it's also fear. Mm-hmm. Like yes. you should be ashamed yes. of this, but you should also be very scared that this will happen yeah. to you. Exactly. Fear was a big thing. And I, I think that that was their goal was to like, scare people into being sexually active because you'll get pregnant or you'll get an STI and then you'll die. And then your genitals are going to look like this. And then mm-hmm. you'll, no one will ever want you. <laughs> that was the, yeah, that was the order of things. <laughs> right. I mean, and just saying it out loud is so awful, but it's so exactly <laughs> what they taught. It's like, oh my God, I can't believe that that is what we're still teaching our young people. Yeah, it's not good. And I, when I was living in the Central Valley still, like after college, I actually went back to that high school and taught comprehensive (gasps) sex ed, which was- Round of applause for Mariah, everybody. (laughs) It was such a cool experience. They've come a long way. So there has been changes, thankfully. Um, And it looks a little bit different. Still the large class sizes. There was like, I had a hundred students in one of the classes. It was like the entire football team and more people. But at least it was like the full 14 days. There were, um, there were, yeah, there was just a lot more time, but also comprehensive sex ed is very different than fear-based, shame-based. There's actually some helpful tools and life skills and things that people can apply to their life that don't make you feel like shit. (laughs) Yeah. Which is exactly what they were getting at before. Well, (laughs) I feel like I was talking to my last guest Mia about this too. And I was saying like, and I just saw something about this on Instagram, like Mm -hmm. be the person that a young you needed. And you Uh literally were like, I'm going (laughs) to go back to where young Mariah was given this terrible information. I'm going to do it right for the young Mariah's now. (laughs) Oh, I definitely felt that as I was driving into my like old high school parking lot. It was very surreal. That's really cool. Yeah. Okay. So not good stuff at school was happening. (laughs) Not good at that school. So you referenced a lot um, about what it was like for you in your household. So can you walk us through, um, did you get any information about sex at home? I, I didn't other than we don't talk about this. This is very, we keep this a secret. Like our, my parents made me like close my eyes if we were watching a show and there was kissing. Um, we had to like put a pillow in front of our face because we weren't allowed to really see anything sexual or talk about anything sexual and then anything that happened related to sex like for example like my parents both experienced affairs and that's it was very centered around sex like they didn't talk about it we weren't allowed to talk about it or know anything about that Um, my parents never were affectionate so 
we didn't see that in it ever happen in it. And I say we, because I have a lot of siblings, <laughs> I'm the oldest. Um, so there's that context and the oldest of a lot of siblings. And so um, we kind of all had a similar experience. And then when I was younger, I experienced like my first sexual experience that was definitely not consensual. That moment that that happened to me, I think I was around seven or eight. Mm -hmm. It's always hard to remember. I was immediately met with, don't tell anyone. We're not going to talk about this. We're going to pray for two plus hours. And that will, that's the conclusion or that's what we will do in order for this to be, for this to go away or to be swept under the rug. Um, so yeah, I learned very quickly that I wasn't allowed to bring up sex or that it wasn't a safe space to talk about with my parents. Um, and that if anything happened to me that was abusive or not consensual, then it was my responsibility to keep it a secret, fix it. And, and also the piece of it may, it was probably my fault sort of thing. Like there was a lot of um, like personal blame and um, yeah, that, that piece attached to it. So yeah, that was kind of the culture at home. And then at church, there was that, but there was also this idea of your body either being pure or dirty and saving yourself for marriage and that on top of already feeling bad about yourselves because regardless of whether you've chosen something or like chose to be sexually active or if you've been sexually abused it doesn't matter like you are impure and it's too late sort of thing. That was the, the message. I think in my youth group, they did an analogy with a flower they, and they split us up into by gender and um, the youth leader like had a pretty little flower and would talk to us and like peel or pick off a petal and like explain this is what happens and at the end of their little speech the flower was all destroyed and they basically said this is what happens when you have sex and don't wait for marriage who's gonna want this flower that's destroyed no one sort of oh my god so <laughs> uh, awful 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 but I think that even though that was really extreme the same kind of messages were said in that high school sex ed experience you know it wasn't as extreme or as hateful I think because I feel it was very like hateful and and wrong but the outcome of how it can make someone feel was very similar um so that was it that's an interesting like little piece of it and then for me personally Throughout all of that, throughout my childhood and throughout high school, I had experienced a lot of sexual abuse and um, I'm a survivor of sexual assaults and then a lot of different times and occasions, starting from being a child, a seven or eight year old. So I, yeah, that's, I think that's why talking about my sex ed experience is very tied to that because even if I wanted to learn something, I already went into it feeling like it, it doesn't matter anymore because I've already effed up sort of thing. And yeah, none of these messages are these spaces where there were adults or people who could have really provided some, some support or guidance or empowerment really just perpetuated it or made it worse. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. I know that can be really difficult. So I appreciate you opening up and I know the listeners, oh, thanks. the listeners will learn a lot from this for sure. Yeah. Um, but two things that come up for me as you were telling those stories, um, and the first one being, and I say this I'm like a broken record in all of my episodes, <laughs> but not talking about sex is sending a message about sex. Like you said, right. like just be, I feel like adults have this idea that if you just don't talk about it, 
they're not going to do it or it's not Uh going to impact them or they will just shut up and not ask any questions. But it's like, no, not talking about it is really actually dangerous because it sends the message that you can't talk about this yourself. Yeah, exactly. That, and that's exactly what it was. And it, and it's confusing because sex is natural, obviously. Like it is, things are going to happen. And in my home, like nudity was really normal, which was very confusing for me because we couldn't talk about sex or look at sex or think about sex. But then me and my siblings would always just be nude and that was normal. We'd see like our parents nude and that was normal. So it furthers the confusion. So yeah, not talking about sex is not the answer. It just doesn't work. And, (laughs) And we have a lot of research as far as sex ed goes about, you know, the, the differences the out, in outcomes between abstinence-based sex ed and then comprehensive sex ed. I mean, it's there. We see it. For sure. I mean, that's so confusing, especially because we in this culture, like in America, particularly associate nudity with sex so much. Like mm-hmm. we hypersexualize right. nude bodies in a way that like, if, if like a woman is nude, it's sexual. Mm-hmm. When it's like, no, she's just right. nude. So I'm sure that even added to the confusion for you and your siblings, like what a, what a thing to navigate with no information. Yeah. And the other thing that came up for me was how important it is to stress that sex education needs to start like as soon as toddlers are walking and talking and that's, Oh yeah. You know, like something that we don't talk about that, like it has to be age appropriate and like there's sex ed for young people of every age. And it's important and fun and exciting to talk about sex ed as a way to liberate yourself and enjoy your life and enjoy your body. Mm -hmm. But it's also an important tool to help stop abuse and help young people recognize what is and isn't abusive. And by starting young, we have the opportunity to interrupt those potential cycles of abuse. Yeah. Even just like in the way that we talk about the body or name genitals, that can be really helpful in identifying bad touch, good touch, that whole concept and understanding like bodily autonomy. And in my home, we weren't allowed to say vagina. We weren't allowed to say booty. (laughs) Like we couldn't say those words. And then of course, consent should be started in toddler years because it's it's a concept that everyone should be practicing in every part of their life yeah absolutely you need to start that young because it's just so much harder to get to folks after they have internalized the idea that they are owed something or that somebody Mm -hmm. else's body you know belongs to them in some capacity and like getting to that early is so important yeah that piece that you said of like your body being your own and the message that all of these situations can lead to like, no, your body belongs to someone else or people can do anything to your body. And I think that's what really influenced me. It was thinking that or believing that was like, my body isn't really mine. And because of that, people can do whatever they want to it because they already have. And that's the way it is. Like, that's how life is. So learning about like bodily autonomy was something I didn't even understand until college. And that's really scary. Yeah, for sure. What that brings up is the importance of trauma-informed sex education, because we as sex educators only have control over what happens in our classroom, right? So we don't know the type of sex education that the young people are getting at home, online, with their friends, at their church. So for all we know, our classroom is the only place that they're getting Mm -hmm. any information other than really like problematic ideas and narratives or like shame-based, fear-based stuff. And so to recognize they might be coming to the classroom with some serious baggage. So let's make sure that we're teaching in a way that's going to make them feel seen, make them Mm -hmm. feel heard, and also try and remove some of that shame and stigma as best as we can. Yeah. Trauma-informed sex ed is everything. I feel like all sex ed should come from that lens and it really is just being mindful and considerate that 
you have so many students and experiences in one classroom and there are simple ways to make it a more safe and comfortable space. Having safe opportunities, that's part of like the trauma-informed sex ed experiences. Thinking back to my sex ed, that was not trauma-informed at all. And I honestly don't know if they if there's anything they could have done to make it that way based on the info that they were already coming in with, but. <laughs> right, like the whole, it was like not savable. Like they need to no, start over. Not redeeming. Yeah, they just, they just shouldn't have been there, honestly. Yeah, so we've got an idea sort of what was going yeah. on in the home, what was going on in church, what was going on at yeah. school. And it was all not so good in terms of sex education and messaging. So outside of those three spaces, were you getting information about sex anywhere else? The internet was a big place for me to discover things, but because I didn't really have any helpful knowledge, pornography was the only place I saw sex being represented or done in any way. So the only information I got was, okay, I need to do this when I have sex or I need to, I'm supposed to go down on someone and swallow semen. Like those are the only things I really learned. And then hearing from people at my school or friends like I, I distinctly remember walking down the hall and someone I was going to the next class with they were telling me that they had sex with their boyfriend and they were telling me their like the position they were in so that it like would feel good and I was just blown away I was like oh you have to be in certain positions for things to feel good and though, though that was the only way that I was learning anything I felt like with, with the info that I got, with the experiences, I, I did what I could with it, I guess. Yeah. But I think even what you just said, I did what I could, like, that's Mm -hmm. not what we should be striving for our young people. No, we should not be hoping (laughs) that they can just do the best they can with the bare minimum shit information we give them. Like, Mm -hmm. and that's what you were dealt. Those were the cards that you were dealt. And it's like, sex education is a way to change that. It's a way to say, even if you're not getting this stuff anywhere else, when you come into the sex education classroom, like let's write some of these wrongs and give Mm -hmm. you the information that you need to go out there and say, no, this is actually not something that you can do to me. Simply creating a space to introduce to young people some counter narratives to the really problematic stuff that they're getting in like every other facet of their life. Yeah, exactly. And another content warning, (laughs) Um, the same year that I got my sex education, a little bit before that, I don't like this term, but like lost my virginity or the first time I ever had penis to vagina sex was in a rape. And I remember after that, because I had no like helpful information, no sex ed, nothing. Like I immediately thought I was pregnant. It wasn't even the rape or the sexual assault that, that affected me so much. It was the aftermath of feeling like, oh no, I'm going to die. I'm going to get sick. I'm going to get pregnant. What am I going to do? It was that piece of it that really affected me when I was younger. I feel like now I've been able to process more of that stuff. I didn't tell that it wasn't consensual. I didn't tell anyone because from a young age, I was told not to. So that was very secretive. But in my head, I was just so worried that all these bad things were going to happen to me. I stressed out extra (laughs) um, just because I didn't know. I didn't have that info or anyone to really ask about it. Afterward, of course, I experienced different things internally because sexual assault is, it's one of those things that everyone kind of feels differently or handles differently or just trauma itself you know Mm -hmm. everyone's process it varies yeah I I really think that there could have been people and or other adults who could have definitely changed the way that I processed that situation and the situations after yeah I think about that a lot I'm always thinking about what could have made it better (laughs) the thing that stands out the most to me is like you felt fear 
and shame because you were taught to feel fear and shame around right. these things. You know what I mean? Like if someone had told you that like sex can be like a creative collaborative experience where everyone gets to feel safe, mm-hmm. young people will feel like they have a better sense of control of what's happening because they yeah. will, right? Like when you're given no information about how to handle a non-consensual experience, as well as no knowledge of like, how does one get pregnant? How do I know mm-hmm. if I'm pregnant? What do I do? if I'm pregnant, like all of that on top of each other is going to send anybody into a tailspin. Right. And even like just the red flags that can lead up to something like that. Of course, you know, there, sometimes things just happen and there's nothing that a, that a person can do to see that coming or prevent it. But there was a lot of red flags in this particular situation that I didn't even realize were red flags. Like this person was 18 years old and I was 13, you know, that's one thing that I didn't even compute in my brain that there could potentially be something wrong with that. Or even the way that they communicated with me, like wanting me to sneak out of my house and then drop me off at the corner of the street to walk home by myself or uh, like not use a condom, those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. All of that, you know, I, I just didn't know. I didn't know that those were red flags or things that I, that I should have seen as like, okay, I need to think about this. And as an adult, what was really difficult was feeling like, okay, maybe it is my fault because I let this happen sort of thing. That's really the piece and a very common trend in all of the sexual assault or abuse that I experienced that was a common trend of like feeling like well I'm letting this happen or this is my fault so maybe it's not really abuse maybe it's not really assault Mm -hmm. and even that right there just having had someone say actually like people if you say no people can't continue to have sex with you. Like if you've already said that, this is not okay. Like short little comments (laughs) could definitely um, really change someone's life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we, the collective, we have this habit of thinking about how comprehensive sex education could have changed the experience for survivors. And like Mm -hmm. you said, I could have recognized those red flags or maybe I would have seen something, but it's like, Mm -hmm. it also would have changed the behavior of the perpetrators of these acts. Like maybe if the perpetrators got some of this sex ed, they would have understood that that is unacceptable. You know, like when you're not teaching about consent, people don't necessarily know what to do with it. Right. Like they don't know how to take no, or they don't know how to understand no. And like, it's never okay, but we need to be teaching these things because it is so clear that we are confused as a culture, as society Mm -hmm. about what that word means about what consent is like. So we need to get in there and teach it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And so like, I, I think it's interesting. I've talked to survivors and, and it's, it's often through this lens of like, oh, I could have recognized these things and mm-hmm. I could have done these things. And it's like, well, everybody involved in that experience needed the sex education, yeah. you know? That's a really great point. And also what is sticking out is that you were 13. So in most states, 13 yeah. year olds <laughs> would not have gotten any sex ed yet. Like most sex ed comes yeah. like 14 through 18. And so it's like, it needs to be happening earlier. Like it just That's has true. to be happening earlier. Yeah. I didn't even get a middle school sex ed. At all. Oh, you didn't even get like a puberty or anything? No. And maybe my parents took me out of it. Maybe it did exist, but my parents didn't let me. That's a whole other situation of like getting my period and freaking out, thinking I'm dying. That's a whole other thing. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's, it's so important to start young. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So let's move on to a conversation about intersecting identities. So um, can you tell us what your intersecting identities are? Yeah. Well, I think for starters, this one might be an obvious one because I know we're talking about it a lot. I'm a survivor of sexual assault. (laughs) Um, I'm also Latina. So I, my family's Mexican. That's a big piece of my life and also very tied into like the religious aspect of it. Um, 
a lot of my family members are Catholic. My parents like branched off of that and went into the more evangelical side of Christianity. I am also bisexual, but I also deal with depression and anxiety. I feel like that plays a big role in the way I operate in the world. (laughs) I am also an addict in recovery. In high school, I got very addicted to prescription painkillers and that was a journey and a whole separate thing. And I'm sure very tied to the sexual assault. I mean, mm-hmm. what are you going to do? Um, mm-hmm. But I feel like that is an identity that I'm, I'm just now understanding or exploring because a lot of the chaos, it would, it's very easy for me to just like push aside and move on from it. And then not really notice the effects it has on me until later or until it's too late. And I'm trying not to do that anymore. (laughs) Um, But, and, and I'm, and I come from a very large chaotic family. I'm the oldest of six siblings. Um, And I grew up in a very like emotional neglect environment with my family. So that's, I feel like that's also an intersecting identity for me, but all of them are, are things that I'm really still trying to understand and explore. It's always so hard for me to write like bios or when people, you know, ask what's your, you know, who are you? Or like, what do you like? Tell us a little bit about yourself if that's a really difficult question for me, because I feel like there's so much and I always latch on to, Oh, well I teach sex ed and and that's like sort of thing. Umbrella. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But you know, even throughout this conversation, I feel like uh, you can see like how a lot of this is connected to who I am and the way that I've dealt with different things. I know you've, you've talked about some of those identities already. Um, but I'm curious, did you feel like they were all represented in the sex education that you got or some of them or none of them? Or like, did you see yourself? Definitely? No. Um, I think even if I'm just thinking about my sexual identity, so being bisexual, the sex ed was very heteronormative, no mention of like there's nothing that was clear affirming or even um, discussing like different ways to have sex. That would have been helpful, you know? Yep. Um, so no, definitely, I, I didn't feel represented in that way. Um, I think I, like where I grew up, um, it's very, it's a very like, what's it called? like a Latina area, I guess you could say. So that, I feel that's always been in my life and ingrained in my, in my schooling and also sex ed. So that was, that's always been there. But even that, like the cultural aspect of, of religions or races and things like that, that was not integrated in sex ed or even taken into account or considered. And I think that's also a piece of trauma-informed is acknowledging the intersectionality of, of trauma and people and race and ethnicity, culture, all that's a big piece of it. But ultimately, very heteronormative, ignoring all of the, these other pieces. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like we often forget this piece of like, comprehensive sex education is also like culturally informed. So it takes into account, like if you are in a classroom filled with 90% Latinx students, Mm -hmm. you need to take that into consideration when you're teaching about sex ed and you need to look at how Latinx cultures interact with sex and what it's like in Latinx households. And like, we don't talk about that. Like it's, it's often usually just like through a very, like a super white lens or like, you know what I mean? Yeah, even in like the the colors of the the Im- or the images of the anatomy slides or you know perfect those perfect example. <laughs> yeah, those are simple changes to make it even more inclusive. I feel like now teaching comprehensive sex ed, there's still so much work that needs to be done, but it's 
great to see it be more affirming for queer folks and trans folks. It's great to see it consider different cultural identities and races and touch on those things. Like I, one of my favorite lessons to teach is um, gender stereotypes. And throughout that lesson, we can get into a conversation around like racial stereotypes and how that even plays a role into how we function in the world and how that can negatively affect a person and how to challenge those stereotypes. So yeah, that's just a little celebratory moment. Yeah. For sex ed is that I feel like in places like California where comprehensive sex ed is being a little bit more prioritized, we're seeing it um, evolve in a more inclusive way. Yeah. Ever evolving. Yes. For sure. Awesome. Okay. So I'd love to move into some questions about like beyond high school, like the Mariah of today, (laughs) where we are in the now. Oh gosh. So how do you think that your sex education journey has impacted your relationship to sex today? Gosh, that's a great question. It's taught me everything not to do or not to be. So (laughs) ultimately it negatively impacted me, but in the big picture, it's made me like a, a better, more compassionate educator it's made me understand all of these like really important pieces of sex ed and it's given me the ability to like walk into a classroom and be able to level with students and understand them in a maybe a different way or a um, more compassionate way yeah and I'm curious Do you find, I feel like as a sex educator, your relationship to sex and sexuality is a little different because you're teaching it to young people. Do you find that as well? I do. I feel like I can advocate for myself so much better. I'm able to like explore my sexuality in terms of like pleasure and also advocate for safety in that and say, this is what I need in order to do this. I feel more comfortable with my voice and value communication a lot more. Like if that's not a part of your sexual experiences growing up, you don't realize how, how it can change how your body responds to sex and how you respond to pleasure or even receive pleasure because sex was not pleasurable for me ever until I learned about these things. I feel so much more empowered, so much more confident in speaking for myself and in discovering what I need and and saying it, you know? Yes, absolutely. I feel good about doing that now. Yeah. I did it for a very long time. (laughs) Yeah. I'm curious, what was like the turnaround moment for you? Because like you went through a lot before you even turned 18. And like, now yeah. you're this like sex positive out sex educator, <laughs> you know, like, is there a moment or like, you know, something mm-hmm. that was like, okay, this is when I feel like I turned it around for myself. That's a good question. It's really hard to picture there being like one t- turning point or like this grand moment where it all changed for me. It was definitely a process. I think what helped was being or getting into relationships Mm -hmm. with people who valued me and didn't take advantage of me. And I didn't know that that was ever a thing or possible. So like getting into a relationship with like my long-term partner and being met with, I, I respect you and we don't have to do anything you don't want to, or what do you want to do? Like just being met with that changed a lot for me. That was in college, but that helped a lot was having people who just cared about me. And that sounds very like, shouldn't we all have that? Like, shouldn't that be in our lives from, you know, the get go? But I really didn't, I didn't have parents who like really cared for me emotionally or could like offer that. And then in college, being able to connect with people who like genuinely cared for me Like it just, I, that made me realize, oh, I need a very secure, safe environment in order to like feel or be an emotional being and ultimately 
be a sexual being because I think um, emotional safety is directly tied to my sexual experience. Mm -hmm. I can't experience pleasurable sex without that piece. Yeah, it's so dynamic. It's like an ever-changing, we're forever students, you know? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so (laughs) another really big question. Is there anything that you wish that you could unlearn? I mean, I feel like I could have unlearned it all. (laughs) Everything Uh, is a valid answer. You can say everything. Yeah, I I think the, the biggest piece is that my body is not someone else's. Like, I I wish that is one thing I I would have learned is my body isn't my future husband. Like I learned in church, my body isn't a flower that will be destroyed if something, if I experience sex, it is my body. And if someone takes advantage of it, that's not okay. And I deserve love and support regardless. And it's still... I'm still worthy of good things. I'm not like damaged. Yeah, I think that is something I would have liked to unlearn because that it's taken a really long time to understand that or um, apply it to my life. Because of course, like you think about it, like, of course your body is yours. Like I could tell myself that, but I think the experiences that I've had, it makes it so hard for like my body to even know that or understand that. And for me to get to a place where I accept it, like that acceptance piece that plays a role in sexual liberation. So yeah, I would have loved to unlearn that at age eight. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my goodness. And I think what's, what's so important about that piece is like, that is not something that only affects sex. Like your body autonomy impacts every aspect of your day to day life. So like, if you can't get, get on board with that, you are going to face issues with self-esteem, with confidence, with how you interact with people professionally, personally, sexually, like that is a thread that impacts everything. Oh yeah. I have such a hard time, like advocating for myself still, like it, this is so silly, but it's like, if someone sends me a DM and it's, it's not something I want to see or whatever, it's like. I still feel bad for like blocking someone. It's so hard for like, even though I, I want to do that, I need to do that. That'll make me feel better. I still working on yeah. like embracing saying no, mm-hmm. because I deserve to say no. And it's important. That's something everyone should be able to do, but it, it's still a struggle. Even, yeah. you know, as a 27 year old, why do I feel bad about advocating for myself? Why do I feel bad about asking for what I need? Why do I yeah. feel bad about saying no? Why do I feel bad about blocking this person? I shouldn't feel bad, but I feel bad. Right. Like I, I didn't do something I, wrong. They're doing yeah. something wrong. Right. I'm just I, fixing it. Yeah. Exactly. I feel like I'm inconveniencing someone by asking for what I need sometimes. So that I think will be a lifelong journey that's tied to exactly what you said about not learning about bodily autonomy. It affects other parts of your life. And I've seen that happen. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, particularly for women, like, yes, that is one that impacts us so much differently than it does particularly men. Like, yeah. That is something that we are, that we have to fight for in a way right. that others don't always have to. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. So this brings us to our very last question. I can't believe okay. like it's already that time. <laughs> I know. Um, but the final question, knowing what you know now, which is a lot as a, a comprehensive <laughs> sex educator, and we love to see it. Knowing what you know now, what do you wish that your sex education journey could have looked like? Maybe a little bit like what it, what I do now. Um, I love the idea of comprehensive sex ed being framed as life skills because it is like everyone needs to practice communicating, like communicating assertively and also understand the difference between being passive and the outcome of communicating passively like those little life skills would be so great to have learned while I was taking a you know the two-day sex ed class obviously that wouldn't have fit into all of that but even maybe just framing it as that would have been 
that would have been so much better. It would have changed a lot because then, you know, I could say, or I could think about it like, okay, this, this will, this directly will influence my relationships or how I feel about myself. And this can change it in a positive way. Here's like a tangible thing or an example of what I can do to be better, to feel better. And comprehensive sex ed provides that. It really does. There are those little lessons that are so important. And, you know, I also love teaching the relationship lesson, your relationship with yourself, relationship with others, identifying, you know, unhealthy and abusive relationships and how to handle them and where to go, even just the aspect of the resources available. I had no idea there were actually resources or websites I could go to that would help. (laughs) Um, No idea. And I think there are often resources or other support systems outside of like just a family or the people you live with that can help and give you even more information and, and just support you and your journey. So yeah, I would have loved for, for that to be available too. Some resources. Yeah. And I just think also that sets the tone for like a much more realistic understanding of like expectations when you get older, like Mm -hmm. one person isn't going to be able to give you everything that you need. So like you can approach a sex educator or like, let's say you are approached by a student. That's not a woman. Like you could say, Mm -hmm. okay, here are some educators for people for, um, here's some resources that might be more relatable created by someone of your gender, like like creating this, um, understanding that like, it's okay if you don't have all the answers because Uh we all come from different walks and like, there are tons of people out there that are doing great stuff. So let me, let me tap into all of that for you. You know? Yeah. That also like eliminates the like savior mentality of being a sex educator or educator or community leader, anything like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've seen, I've worked with a lot of different educators and I've seen that and students don't respond well to that. And it just feels icky. And especially when you have, like, if we think about the race aspect of it, if you have a white educator going into an all black school or Latinx community, that, that connection isn't there. And mm-hmm. so being able to point to people who are relatable, things like that. It's, that's important. That's a really important piece. I love that. Yeah, for sure. Well, that, this was so much fun. I love chatting with you. And before we like fully wrap up, I would love to give you the opportunity to let the listeners at home know where they can follow you and stay tuned with all of your work and your awesome anonymous questions. Oh, thank you. Um, so I run a sex ed account. It's mainly just a place where I share a lot of what I do in the classroom, especially the anonymous questions that students give me or that we answer in class. I post a lot of those because they're great and they give people an idea of what students really want to know and what they're asking, what conversations are happening in sex ed, all that good stuff. So it's called Sex Ed Files. And that's where you can keep up with me. Fantastic. Just to be clear, that is on Instagram. Yes. Sorry. That's, on that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So yes, go follow Mariah sex ed files. Great content across the board. 10 out of 10 highly recommend. Thank you. <laughs> so Mariah, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come and speak. This was a fantastic conversation from another sex educator. I love I love all of the places that we went and um, I can't wait to see how sex ed files evolves. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. This has been great. You can find the show on Instagram at sex ed rewind or online on my website at caroconfort.me. I drop new episodes to podcast platforms every Monday. The cover art and website are by Kelsey Reifler and the podcast is produced and edited all by me.